I aim to be in that Venn diagram overlap of comics who are saying something, are successful, and are funny. And there are very, very few of those. Very few of those. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Brown People We Know, an interview podcast about the South Asian American experience. My guest this week is Rajiv Satyal, the first comedian to have ever performed stand-up on all seven continents. Yes, even the cold one. He's open for Dave Chappelle and Narendra Modi. He's spoken at TED and for companies like the NFL and Google. Russell Peters called him one of two Indian Americans to watch. Rajiv started his career at PNG, but left that corporate marketing gig at 30 to pursue comedic success. We talk about how he made that transition, what his family thought about it, and about his relationship with other South Asian comics. Aside from stand-up, he's like the chota beam of content, the Peter Parker of content. If you got both those references, then you're definitely Indian American. If you didn't, I'm saying he's a content superhero. Medium articles, YouTube videos, podcasts, even puns on Instagram. You'll find him working in many mediums, producing thoughtful and hilarious material. On this episode, we talk about the differences in producing for these platforms and how he's developed that ability to be prolific and consistent. He shares his thoughts on how he thinks about his brand, and we chat about why Rajiv considers himself more American than Indian. Many of us say that we're more this than that, but his explanation for it was spot on. I don't want to give any punchlines away, so with that, I'll say one last thing and shut up. Rajiv Satyal, welcome to Brown People We Know. This episode is actually really special to me because when I started this, I told my mom, like, I'm going to do nine crappy episodes. That's my goal. Because, you know, whenever you start a project, it's like really intimidating. Sure. This is episode nine, but I'll, I'll definitely keep going. Cool. Rajiv, I was looking at a family picture a while ago, and it made me laugh because you are not one of the twins, but if I had not known, I would have guessed that you and Vikas were the twins. Do you get that pretty often? I do. It's interesting because he and I look a lot more similar, but the weird thing is if Rakesh and I were both four years old, which obviously it's not possible since I'm four years older than they are, but if we were both four, we'd look the same which is odd. So my facial structures actually morphed twice. Like me as a baby and then me probably at like 10, 11 years old and then me now, I look totally different. I, it, it's odd. I don't know why I've morphed so much, but I don't think people draw a straight line from my infant pictures to what I am now. It's really funny how that happens. For me, I'm like pretty much identical. I don't think I've changed at all, except maybe gotten, hopefully gotten a little bigger since I was yeah. a kid. Since <laughs> you were an infant. Yeah. I'm in the Midwest right now. For majority of my time in the States, I've been in the Midwest, Wisconsin and Michigan and Illinois. You're from small town Ohio, but you're now living in Los Angeles. What was that transition like? I think LA is about as different from a small town in Ohio as you could possibly get. You know, Cincinnati itself and LA are already very different, but I didn't grow up in Cincinnati itself. I grew up 25 minutes outside of it. I recently read with all this political run up that the country is actually divided into four. 25% of people live in cities defined by, I think, something like 
more than 100,000 people live within a 10-mile radius or whatever the number is. Those aren't numbers aren't exactly accurate, I don't think. And then you've got suburbs and you've got exurbs, which are more like towns. Like my wife is from an exurb. She's from a town between Austin and Houston, but it's not a suburb of Austin. It's not a suburb of Houston. And then you got 25% of the country in these rural outposts where there aren't very many people around them. So I think anytime you go from a suburb to an herb, <laughs> to an urban area, it's going to be a pretty big leap. And then for my wife to go from LaGrange, Texas to Los Angeles, I think is, is another order of magnitude. Yeah. Was that a, for you at least, was it like a career move or this was the lifestyle that you'd been kind of wanting? Both. I mean, I've always felt myself to be a little bit more of a big city person. And for me to live in the burbs would have been failure for me. That's not true for everybody, of course. I mean, some people want to live out in the country. I've had friends, you know, they lived in the suburbs, they moved to the city, and then they moved out to the country. So that's not necessarily true for everybody. But for me, I saw myself working at a large corporation, which I did for a while, and then living in a big city. So that's kind of what I've done. Mm -hmm. So speaking of working at a large corporation, you started your career as a mechanical engineer, decided you wanted to do marketing. So you shifted to a role at P&G. I find that really interesting. So I don't want to ask you so much about like what your parents thought about that, right? I think we all know that immigrant parents want a stable path. Generally, they prefer the doctor engineer path, that type of thing. But I'm more curious about your perspective on that desire, right? So when you were making that transition, obviously, there was this thing that you wanted to pursue. You'd been in comedies from, I think, like 2002 to 2006 part time. Mm -hmm. When you made the switch how much were you weighing the fact that maybe your parents wanted you to stay in corporate America or stay in a, a stable role? It's definitely a factor. I mean, I think any upstanding citizen slash good son, good child would at least weigh what their parents have to say, especially when I did it, which I was 30 years old, right? So it's not like I was a rebelling adolescent going, well, I'm going to go to the college I want to go to or whatever. It's like 30, you're a fully formed adult at 30. I mean, I think really around the age of 25, 26, you start to get that sense. But my gosh, by the time you're 30, you're, you're, you're an adult. And so I did weigh that out. I did think about this as a way to break my parents' hearts. But, you know, ultimately, I'm the one who has to live it. And they agree. You know, they said, look, we can guide you. Of course, they wanted me to be a doctor. They wanted me to marry an Indian woman. So one out of two ain't bad, I guess. But I think at the end of the day, you know, parents just want what's good for their kids and only go do this if you're, it's going to make you happy. Right. And that's why when you see people in entertainment who are miserable, it's like, gosh, dude, well, if you're going to be miserable, then go work in corporate America and at least stack. <laughs> do you think that if your parents hadn't been Indian or I shouldn't even say it that way, but if you hadn't come from an immigrant background, you would have pursued comedy sooner? Was that something that you had been eyeing for a long time, but you just wanted to achieve a level of stability for yourself? That's an interesting question. I mean, I think it's hard no matter what. I showed my wife The Legend of Sleepy Hollow from 1980 with Jeff Goldblum. And it's this very white, you know, he leaves the New York City, he goes out to Sleepy Hollow. And it's obviously an old story, Washington Irving. But her show, my wife was really struck by how much they're telling him to get married. Just like, these are all white people. It's like, it's not like the aunties and uncles. Like, And I go, yeah, that's just universal. Like people want their children or younger people in the community to get married, to have kids, to have a good job. Like, that's universal. And it's funny, I did have some exposure to that because my dad grew up in Bombay. So he and his brother were around Bollywood stars. My mom sang on the radio, like local Allahabad radio. We actually went to the university when we were there together a couple of years ago. 
So they had some exposure to arts and entertainment. It wasn't like there was none, but they didn't know people who went into it full time. I mean, they still had full time jobs. So I think the way to think about it is if my parents were actually musicians or comedians or actors, then sure, probably they would feel like the genes are there and the path is there. But they say what you cannot be, you cannot see. I don't know if I entirely agree with that because there always has to be a first. But I would say generally for people, that's true. And so I think it's less to do with the ethnicity and more to do with the other parts of the background. Before I even dive into comedy specifically, the first thing I noticed about you is just how prolific you are. I mean, you have your stand-up, you have YouTube shows, like what do you bring to the table? You have your Biden A to Z Instagram series, Medium articles, like how to throw a dope Indian wedding. Your speeches. I mean, this is like a really, this is a lot of content. Of all the mediums that you've been working on and creating on, do you have a favorite? Well, thanks for doing your research. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> always really nice because when people open with, so how'd you get started? You know, then I'm like, oh gosh, I thought I sent you my FAQs or I hope you did at least 10 minutes worth of research. So I appreciate that. I did 12. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> I still enjoy the stage. I mean, it's fun being on a set and shooting a commercial or whatever else. And my Toyota Elf commercial is still running, which is great. It's running from last year. We desperately need the money since COVID has, has wiped out most of my income for 2020. A lot of that stuff is fun. I love writing, but I love the thrill of being in front of the crowd. And when people go, do you just want to go full-time into writing because you love writing, you're good at it? I go, I, I want to write. I love writing, but I don't think I can give up being in front of an audience. And that's not even so much an ego thing as it's much like, I just enjoy it. It's just super fun to me to, to be in front of a crowd of people. So I hope I never give that up. So that's probably still my favorite medium is stand-up. It's interesting, right? Because you get almost like instant feedback. It really helps you connect with the people that you're in front of. Absolutely. As you kind of look across everything that's happening in terms of platforms and where communication is happening. Back in the day, you'd have newspapers and, and like a lot of long form content, movies, TV. And it seems like over time, things are shifting to shorter medium posts, Instagram, TikTok videos, really short, quick content. Have you found that over time, the shifting of platforms have kind of shifted your skill set and the type of content that you create? People want short, but they also are interested in long, meaning that they still say these articles, like if you look at this app Pocket, you know, you can go to getpocket.com, not that I'm plugging it, but if people want to know what is that, you know, people save these very long articles. So usually people don't have time to read something that's going to take 45 to 60 minutes. Like on Medium, it tells you how long it takes most people to read. They're just saving it to Pocket or saving it, bookmarking it for later, for a Sunday afternoon when they have their chai and they can sit down and actually tackle it. So I think if you send something really long, it's got to start with a bang. You've got to have some kind of payoff in the beginning as well as hopefully, of course, in the end. So I think content has gotten shorter, but I was very happy to see Vine die because when it came out, I was going, guys, okay, I know our attention spans are short, but six seconds, and it actually was more like 6.2 and people go, well, what's the difference? I go, there's a difference when you're down to six seconds. And if it was 0.2 or 0.3 or whatever it was, I was like, that's a significant amount of the six seconds, you know, 0.2.3. That's not, that's not insignificant. And I was just thinking that, you know, the minimum of 15 seconds on Instagram made a lot more sense to me. Like 15 seconds is enough to really say something. Six seconds wasn't. So I think they got down to the point where it was almost like iPhones and droids getting smaller and smaller and smaller until people went, okay, we don't need them this small. Like now I can't see anything. And then they started to get bigger and now they have the Max and the Mini and all the other iterations that they have. So I think you can write stuff that is short 
and produce stuff that's long and it'll find its audience. Mm. And I'm guessing based on the stuff that you've done, like especially with the medium articles that you probably tend towards longer form, where do you get your inspiration from? And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they want to do creative work, they're put off by, I don't know if I can be consistent. So what are your tips for someone that wants to be more prolific or wants to create more content? My wife and I were just talking about working out. And the thing is, they always say that people who work out in the morning have much more of an opportunity to keep the streak going. And it's because you're in the same place every morning, unless you're a whore. And so if you may wake up at a different place that way, but otherwise, you know, your afternoons are different. You know, you might have a happy hour. You might have a meeting. Work might go long. You might be called to an early dinner. So many other things happen. Whereas in the morning, generally you're in the same place. And so I would say it's the same thing with writing. The key is writing and getting up every morning, even if you're like, yeah, but I'm more of a nighttime writer. I didn't say not to write at night. That's fine. But I would say, you know, you want to feel like you worked on your craft every single day, even Saturdays and Sunday, write for 10 minutes. You can find 10 minutes to write. I, it's hard. I mean, I've even done this. I've done this every day. I've done this in Vegas. I've gone to bachelor parties. I've, I've still found 10 minutes, even if I was on the toilet to write for 10 minutes. It, it's not that hard if you dedicate yourself towards doing it. And you know, ideally you're writing for 90 to 120 minutes a day, like you're writing for a couple hours, but I don't think people are expecting you to write for two hours on a Saturday and Sunday, especially when you need a little bit of a break. But the idea also is that you have to love it. Like if you don't love it, you're going up against people who do love it, or even if they don't love it, they're going to fake like they love it and they're going to write that much. So what Malcolm Gladwell said about writing 10,000 hours or doing anything for 10,000 hours and becoming an expert and Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, he had quoted that saying, you know, it's not the years, it's the miles. And that's true, man. It's just, it's how many miles are you willing to log? And if you're running 10 miles a day and the other people are running 30, well, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. In a way that almost explains your 2002 to 2006, you were putting in the miles before you went full time. Whereas I think the fantasy is often, I'm going to just dive in and go full time, right? Right. Yeah. And that's why you hear that phrase, overnight sensation after 30 years. People are like, who's this person? Like, oh my gosh, this guy's been grinding for decades. And, you know, it it takes a while to pop. I mean, I'll just give Russell Peters as a great example. He started in 89, man, 1989. And his special was recorded in 03. It popped in 04. He was going for 14 years before he had any kind of fame. And then obviously he blew up and became a global superstar. But you look at these guys, man, 14 years, and he's that funny. Like he's a really talented person. And it took him 14 years. So it's not like some mediocre guy got up there and did it. Like this guy does accents, crowd work. It takes a while to pop. Yeah, and I think that's actually a good transition into comedy. One of the questions that I had was, you've been interacting with a lot of comedians, like everyone from Dave Chappelle to Kevin Nealon. I mean, you even opened for Dave Chappelle after he came back from Africa. All these really cool gigs. But Russell Peters was at your wedding. You were roommates with Hassan for a while. Do you feel like your relationship with Indian American comics is different? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, a friend of mine in college, Suman, had said that. You know, he said it very matter-of-factly that we can become closer because we're both Indian. And I said, really? And he goes, oh, you don't feel that way? I go, no, 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 we're very close friends. I mean, it's not that, but I don't know that I necessarily feel that I can get closer to you because you're Indian. And he said, really? Because he goes, I think most people do feel that way. And I said, I never really thought about it. And, you know, we were 18 at the time. It's been a long time ago. And it only occurred to me recently that most of my friends from Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, where we were having this conversation in the site of the first presidential debate this year, 
it was more like most of my friends from that time are not Indian, which is weird because I was friends with a lot of Indian people. I'm still in touch with a number of them. My last gig in real life, IRL, as the kids are saying, was in March in Chicago. And that came through an Indian connection at Case Western. So I'm still in touch with people. But I have not felt that. And I think it's a little bit of a harder question because Hassan and I are roommates, right? So obviously we're super close. Russell's almost like a mentor, bigger brother to me in this game. You know, friends enough to come to our wedding, perform, all that stuff. We're like, oh, you paid him? I'm like, no, he came as a friend. I guess I have to clarify that for people. But it's interesting. I guess maybe there's that camaraderie when a bunch of Indian comics are in a room. But I, I don't know that I can necessarily feel like I can get closer to them. But I think a lot of people feel that it's cool that there's a critical mass of us now that we can sort of gravitate and hang out and have a green room of brown people that just did not exist before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as we were talking before the podcast, even I was saying like part of my inspiration for creating this was because there wasn't much Indian American content. And I think we're starting to hit that like Malcolm Gladwell tipping point of where you're seeing a little bit and now it's starting to hit that exponential curve, if you will. Mm -hmm. So I know that Aziz had mentioned he had declined a role in Transformers because they asked him to do an Indian accent. So I just asked you about your relationship to other comics, right? But with the industry of comedy in general, have you had similar experiences or do you feel the industry is really open to South Asian comics or there might be any barriers? You know, it has shifted. There's been an awakening, right? That's what people mean by woke a lot of the time. And now I just had an audition for Law & Order SVU this week. I had another voiceover audition that I did. And you know, they've been rolling in and I'm so used to seeing slight Indian accent and finally reflecting the demographics and trends and just getting with the program. You're not seeing that as much anymore. And it was interesting. We had done a, a scene from Magnolia, the Tom Cruise bit, which is super extreme. But I remember doing it and then turning on an Indian accent per the coach, the teacher in the class. And there was a man in my class who's the son of a relatively famous actor. His name's Ashley Hamilton. His dad is George Hamilton. And he just said to me, he goes, it's just, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive. It's like, it's just so much better when you do an accent because it's just such a character. And I go, no, I'm not offended by that. He goes, it's just, it's, it's a secret weapon for you because the Indian accent, while it can be funny, is also just powerful. Like it's just got this different layer to it, man, that's just so funny to hear those, those words coming out of, uh, of a foreigner is, is even more funny. And there's always this kind of like outside looking in. If you look at Camille Nanjiani or any of these guys who are legitimately great comics, it's always colored by like, he's a funny guy from Pakistan, right? Like he's funny anyway, he's very talented anyway, but you've got that additional layer that's hard to shake. So Aziz turning down that role, other people doing that over time, I think sent a message to Hollywood just saying, hey, you know what? It's time that we update these stereotypes. Now that said, Aziz did audition for MTV They See. This is something a lot of people don't know. I didn't hear it firsthand, but I have it on very good authority with, with some evidence that, you know, the man was just trying to do everything he can do to break in, which good on him. This is a hustle. So when later he was a little bit like not touching the brown thing or moving away from the accent, you're kind of going, okay, well, you can do that now. But in a way, isn't that more powerful than leaning into the stereotype and just saying, look, I'm just a guy named Tom Haverford. I'm just, you know, a guy named whatever. That's doing more to break down stereotypes than actually leaning into those roles. So good on him for finding that to say, look, I'm not going to do that role because along this journey, it's probably moved us forward. Yeah. Him doing Tom Haverford is now preventing other people from having to do the accent. But it's also interesting because what you're saying is reminding me of other like non-Indian American comics like Eliza Schertzinger. She does 
so many accents and crazy characters and it, it brings them to life in a different kind of way, right? So I think it, it's a shame when you have to do the accent to get a role for the wrong reasons, I suppose, mm-hmm. but it certainly can give you power in a way and it, it's a tool in your tool belt, perhaps. Absolutely, absolutely. I also find it interesting that comics are often able to talk about things that other people can't. Bill Burr is a great example. He does a lot of like dark humor. But one of those other things is politics. So Stephen Colbert is probably reaching audiences that CNN isn't, aka like Fox News watchers. Right. Hopefully, maybe. I don't know. Sure. I'm kind of curious about your relationship with politics, specifically because like you've done work with NPR that was sponsored by the U.S. Department of State. You did this A to Z Joe Biden series. Do you see politics as a separate interest from comedy and you're using comedy as a medium to relay that or is it blended together? You know, politics is the new religion where it's probably easier in 2020 and beyond in the 2020s and maybe even before to insult somebody politically than religiously, right? If you were to say, ah, Jesus really wasn't all that. You'd probably offend people, obviously, but I don't think you could offend people as much as saying, well, Trump ain't all that or, you know, Obama ain't all that. I think that people take those things personally and we, we've segmented into teams. So you have to be careful because a room does tense up when you talk politics. I have distributions for my writings and I specifically remove certain people who have told me, hey, man, you're a funny guy, but I just I don't care what you have to say about politics. If it's funny and it's a funny joke, I'm in, but I'm not up for your musings. I just don't care. I think you're wrong and you're not going to change my mind. And otherwise, we're good friends. We quote movies together. We listen to the same music. We like the same stuff. It's like, that's fine. I'm not going to write them off entirely as, as human beings. But I think that politics, philosophy, these sorts of things are like why I do what I do. because. I aim to be in that Venn diagram overlap of comics who are saying something, are successful, and are funny. And there are very, very few of those. Very few of those. And I'd like to do that. I'd like to use my platform to do that because I don't want to say anybody could be funny, but because I have the ability to do both, well, then I should try to do both. What is the impact that you want to have now? Like, what is the end goal? The end goal has always been to leave the world with something positive. And I feel like the I Am Indian video did that. The pressure's off. That's great. Now I'd like to have my own talk show. I'd like to help tell other people's stories and be a platform for people to come to and host and interview, have interesting convos and get to know people like kind of what you're doing here. I mean, I I like that sort of thing. Getting to know the person behind the persona is important to me. And I think people have a lot to say. And a lot of the time they're able to convey that in their works, whether it's books or movies or TV shows. But sometimes it's hard to just come out and say what you're trying to say. And not everybody's going to get it through your work. And sometimes they need to get it through an interview. They need for you to just come out and say it. And I think a lot of people respond to that. I think a lot of people respond to good, deep conversations, which you're seeing with Joe Rogan and so many of these other people who have these really good podcasts that are really long. So to the point about, do people have the attention span? Well, gee whiz. I mean, Joe Rogan is doing podcasts that are three hours long and people are not only listening to them, but they're watching them. So given all that, you started your career as a comedian, but you now do all these other things, right? Your speeches and your interviews. 
would you still call yourself a comedian or how if someone were to ask you, what do you do? How would you describe your career? I would say I'm a comedian. I think comedian is still all encompassing. I've spent a lot of time trying to figure that out. And just to say, what is that word? And I remember talking to Azar Usman, a good friend of mine with whom I did make China at war and did tours throughout the United States and India. And I explored the idea of calling myself a humorist. And he goes, don't do that. I said, why? He goes, humorists look up to comedians, man. Humorists write. Comedians write and perform. He goes, humorists laud comedians and wish that they could be comedians. He goes, I feel like you're taking yourself a step down. A humorist is a subset of a comedian. And, you know, comedians have different media in which we perform and nobody kills it across all media. Nobody's ever done it that I can think of. Has an amazing movie, amazing TV show, amazing stand-up career. Like people have what they consider maybe to be that, but I think it's hard to crush it across every single medium. Even if you're Eddie Murphy, best stand-up specials, really great movies. But has he had a TV show? Well, Saturday Night Live, sketches, sure. But he hasn't done a TV show, I don't think. Like, he wasn't Dave Chappelle, who even had his own sketch show and stuff like that. Obviously, he got much bigger in, in what he's done. But it's really difficult to kill it, especially now. Like, can you blog? Can you podcast? Can you interview? Can you live host? Can you TV host? Can you, you know, all these different things. It's, it's very difficult to do, but it is all within the purview of being a comedian. And that's all just the stuff in front of the camera, right? You also have people editing and you have producing and all this stuff is happening behind the scenes. So I think when people see the different mediums, it's easy to miss all the work and all the different talents that go mm -hmm. into it. Absolutely. So that conversation between you and Usman kind of sparked a thought in my head. I think it's really interesting that you branded yourself as the funny Indian. The reason it's interesting to me is because as I've been doing this podcast, I've found there's Indian culture, there's American culture, there's Indian American culture. This unique group that can both recognize Imran Khan's amplifier and 50 cents like in the club. Absolutely. This isn't meant to be like a gotcha question. Maybe the answer is as simple as like, it's an easy brand, but why the funny Indian? Is that because you really identify with the Indian side of your culture? Or is it that's what made you unique in the comedy space or something else? I think it was more the latter what you're trying to do is you're trying to find something functional, but that stands out within your group. So it doesn't make any sense to say, hey, I'm the funny comedian. Well, obviously you're a comedian. We hope that you're funny. Uh, you know, if you're like, I'm the brown Indian, it's like, yeah, Indians tend to be brown. So I think that you're trying to find something that has a point of view. And at the time, yeah, it was a way of standing out. Would I pick the same brand now? Well, now there are a lot of funny Indians who are even more successful than I am. So to call yourself the funny Indian takes the balls, right? Out of 1.3 billion Indians, you could call yourself the funny Indian. But it's similar to what I said when I observed Deepak Chopra stuff for the first time. I said to my mom, gosh, he's just like a cliff notes for the Mahabharata. Like I could do that. Anybody could do that. And my mom goes, yeah, but he did it. And I said, wow, that's powerful. Mom just goes, yeah. I mean, Anybody could do it, maybe, not anybody, but he did it and he did it well and he continues to do it. And so I think the idea of the funny Indian, it's funny, it makes people laugh and chuckle, it's easy to remember, and it stakes out some ground for you. So I think now that it's an established brand, it's kind of great to have and it lends itself to this world. But I've gone back and forth. Should I just rebrand myself as Rajiv Sathyal? Rajiv Sathyal is the funny Indian, whatever. It's like, well, now in the day and age of hashtags and, and handles, you know, having a, a catchy handle does help. Rajiv Sathyal isn't the easiest thing to spell if you're not Indian. So I think it's nice and functional and aesthetic. 
It definitely sticks. And I've seen it all over your content, which is probably a good principle of branding, which is why it's there, right? So you have this I am Indian video and you have this I am American video, which by the way, a week ago, I was sitting on my couch watching the I am American video. And and I just want to say like, I think until that I had like completely forgotten that America was a good place. It was a great video. It just like restored my faith in the country. So thanks. Yeah, no, really genuinely like thank you for making that reminder. Right. I think especially over all the things happening recently, like it's great to have something like that. Do you feel like you lean towards one culture? Because clearly you see both sides, right? You've made the I am Indian, I am American videos. But personally, do you just find that you tend to take the values or the culture of one? I appreciate that. First of all, it's why we do what we do to hear that kind of compliment from you. So I really appreciate that. I always say, hey, look, my ethnicity is Indian. My nationality is American. And I had taken a class back in 99 in D.C. when I interned on Capitol Hill. And I remember our professor, this African-American woman, said there is no American culture, right? There's just an American society. And that stayed with me. And I wasn't sure if I agreed with that. Russell Peters reinforced that by saying that his dad said, he's American, they have no culture. You know, hard dogs is not a culture, right? And so this whole thing. And you go, well, I guess I can kind of see that. That said, I am more American than Indian, right? I'm born here. I'm from Ohio. I'm from the heartland, a small town coming to LA. I've spent my entire life in the United States. I am very pro-America in terms of the culture and, well, I just said culture, but the stuff that we've made, right? The movies, the music, the TV shows, like I know American pop culture cold. And I know popular music from 1955 to now. I know movies from like the 70s to now. And TV shows, I know them really well, sitcoms, whatever. It's not like I just happen to live here. Like I, I put my chops on American culture up against most people. And I don't know Indian culture the same way. I've performed in 11 states in India. I love India. I love being there. The last time I went to Bombay, actually two trips ago, was the first time I was sad to come home. I was going, oh my gosh, I could spend more time here. And I had already been in India for quite a while, and I really liked the feel of it. And... All that said, though, I'm an American. I like American cities. I love New York. I love Cincinnati. I like San Francisco. I like LA. I like Chicago. I, and I like small towns here, too. And so I am an American kid through and through. My parents say that to me. My mom says that to me all the time. She goes, we're Indian, but you guys are American. And she goes, you specifically are so American. But that doesn't mean that I'm not a product of Indian culture. And I would even say that I'm Hindu before I'm Indian, right? So my religion is probably more important to me than my ethnicity. So my body is, is Indian, right? But my soul is Hindu. So there are a lot of different ways to define yourself. But if I had to pick between the two, I mean, I think I clearly sound more like an American and fit in more with American quote unquote culture. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating to me because I think even before I identify as an Indian, I identify as a Telugu person, but most of that comes from the language, right? Like I speak Telugu, I grew up speaking Telugu. So Mm -hmm. I'm guessing that similarly, you grew up with Hindu practices and that's probably why you connect so deeply to that. Yeah. I am relieved to hear that you have performed in India. I was curious because you were the first, maybe the only comedian to have performed on all seven continents. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I'm glad you went to India before Antarctica. Or maybe you didn't, maybe it was after, but I'm glad you've been there. (laughs) What was it about Bombay that you felt like you would miss once once you came back? I'm really into feels, you know, vibes of a place. And 
There are probably not a lot of places I don't like. There are cities I could name certainly in the United States where I'm like, yeah, that city's cool, but I don't really kind of feel that city. Whereas, you know, I really feel like myself when I'm in New York, let's just say that. And probably more than anywhere, even though I don't live there. And I've spent a lot of time there, but I don't live there. And Bombay is another place. Mumbai, I guess, to some of the folks. Bombay, let's play it in the middle. And I, I really like being there. I just, I like the feel of the, of the city. And I love Bangalore. I love Delhi. Like I've been to a number of places where I go, these are all cool spots. I mean, I've been to every state in the South. Well, I guess not Andhra now, right? Because isn't Hyderabad and Telangana now? Yes, as far as I know, <laughs> my Indian geography, I know that I am from Telangana. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And in and, and Hyderabad, you know, is, I've been there, performed there with Azur and Hari Kandabolu, who's Telugu also. And so I definitely don't feel Punjabi before I'm Indian. So it's interesting you feel Telugu before you're Indian. I do feel Punjabi. But I would say that Bombay just has that international feel that even Delhi doesn't. Delhi's pretty great. Like, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people hate on Delhi because they're jealous. Like, Delhi's pretty sweet. But if I had to pick, there's no doubt I would rather live in Bombay if I had to pick a city in India. And in fact, most cities in the world, I would probably still pick Bombay over many of them. I have to say that I love Bangalore because last time I went to India, so I was mostly in the South, visiting grandparents and family and all that. And I think like four weeks in, three weeks in, I started to like really miss Taco Bell. And then like five weeks in, I was like, man, I have not seen a white person <laughs> in over a month. Right. And Bangalore has all of that. India is increasingly diverse and growing and the businesses there are booming. So it's probably changed since I've been, but Bangalore will always uh, have a place in my heart for that. I absolutely agree with that. And Bangalore was actually my favorite city in India for a long time. And the reason it's not is the traffic. I mean, the traffic really has wrecked that city in a way that is really sad because I actually felt what you are describing, I believe, in going to parties in Bangalore, spending a lot of time in Bangalore and just really feeling a connection to that city that I still feel. And a lot of my shows have gone well there. I've really enjoyed it. But yeah, I'd have to say that the traffic, even though it's bad in Bombay and a lot of places, it changed the smallness. Bangalore's not small, but compared to Bombay and Delhi, where you're willing to put up with the traffic because they're so large, I go, come on, Bangalore, like your traffic can't be this bad. But then it only underlines that the secret's out, right? It's a great place. And so I don't want to put that city down because I really, I really enjoy being there. So to clarify, you didn't like traffic, so you moved to L.A. Hilarious. Good <laughs> call on that. Good call out. Good call out. Like I said, the secret's out. A friend of mine had once said, hey, you know, what, California has 55 electoral votes or whatever it is. He's like, yep, the, the secret's out. It's not anything novel to move to California. Like a lot of people have learned that it's a pretty great place. Yeah, it is, it's a lot of fun. I do like to go down there. It's just the traffic gets me. It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. But same to Bangalore. Great, great place to be. So I've got like two more questions. The first is just, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask how to throw a dope Indian wedding. I loved it. It was heartwarming. It was like, I desperately needed this because I have no clue how to throw a dope Indian wedding. How did your wife react when, when she saw it? Yeah, thanks. No, I appreciate that. I had, I remember a white friend of mine, Matt in Cincinnati in Fairfield actually told me he read it. I go, oh, you scrolled through the pictures. He goes, no, I read it. I was like, it's like a 38 minute read. He goes, I know, man, but I don't really know much about Indian weddings. And it was just cool to read it. So I, I really appreciated that, Matt, when you, when you read it, if you're listening to this. And her show was just glad to be part of that. I mean, I wrote this whole thing and then we filmed a video. And in fact, uh, Prashant Venkataramanujam, 
directed it, who's Hassan's executive producer for Patriot Act. Prashant's a very good friend of ours as well. So I think she's glad. I wanted my wife to play my wife in it and appear on camera in that way. And it's just, that was the best day of my life, you know, it, to this day. I mean, the bachelor party was dope. The honeymoon was, was lovely. But there is something to be said for every person you know, or as close as you can get, being in one room and watching you do something, right? I mean, I perform comedy, right? But I'm not going to have everyone I know watch me do it on the same day, unless I go, hey, I'm playing Madison Square Garden, in which case a lot of them probably would try to get there. But other than that, it's your wedding, right? Even your birth of your kids are not going to be in the room, I hope. So it's a unique day where you just kind of go, when you put it that way, I think people forget. It's almost like college where I go, look, you're going to have great nights. You're going to have great nights after you leave college, but you're never going to have so many epic nights in a week, right? Like it, within four years, you're going to have so many of your best nights that you'll ever have. You, you may even have better nights after you leave. I'm not saying you won't, but you're never going to have this many nights that are just lit AF, I guess is what the kids are saying. It sounds so toned up coming out of my mouth, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the deal. And that's the thing with the wedding is you're all in one place and they're all like Tupac would say, all eyes on me, right? To give a shout out to LA, like all eyes are on you and they're happy for you. They're, that's why they came there. That's why they flew there. And that was just a, a great day. So I wanted to commemorate that with, uh, with a post and a video. It's awesome. It's definitely the people that make the wedding, right? Rajiv, the last question I wanted to ask, you kind of alluded to this earlier. You also mentioned acting classes in a recent Medium post. What are you up to next? What are you working on now? And how can people find you if they want to connect? Well, thanks for asking. I always appreciate that question. People can look me up at Funny Indian on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. It's really slash Funny Indian, I guess, on Facebook. And follow me. My next project, we've already recorded the promo video and the pilot. It's for something called The Man in the Middle. The Man in the Middle is a tour that I did. I talked about being in the middle, not just politically, but socially and culturally, torn between black and white, being brown, et cetera, all these things. And I'm sitting in my studio right now in Burbank, California, in our backyard. And we've built this so that we can create this talk show. And I could do rants. I could do interviews. I could do all the things I want to do. It's, you know, the 21st century. If you want something, you can build it yourself, which is what we're doing, not just physically with the building, but also to construct the show. So stay tuned for The Man in the Middle. It'll be coming out. and You'll be learning about my musings and interviews, chats, etc. So they can find my old episodes on Spotify, my podcast, and all these other things. But if nothing else, if that's getting too confusing, you can always go to my website, funnyindian.com, and it's got links to everything. And I'll definitely echo your Medium posts as well. And the I Am American video is just, like I said, it's a great piece of content. Well, listen, I appreciate you being on. You're the first guest I've had on that's also been on NPR, Nickelodeon, and CTV, which is <laughs> quite a broad range. So just thanks for being with me today. And I really enjoyed our chat. Same, same. I really had a great time too. And you've asked very, very good questions. I can't always say that about everybody who's interviewed me. So Suraj, thank you so much for taking the time to research and come correct because it doesn't always happen. And you're on your way not nine terrible episodes. One very good one and one recommended by Pepe Kappa is a really good friend who highly recommended you as well. So onwards and upwards. Thanks, Roger. Hey, it's Suraj. I just want to stop and take a moment to say thank you for reaching the end of the episode. My goal with this podcast is to build a sense of community. I want South Asian Americans 
to know that they're not alone in their experience because many of us didn't grow up around other South Asian Americans. I also wanna make sure that we know that anything is possible. And to do that, I'm gonna expose us to all the random, non-traditional, really cool things that other South Asian Americans are doing. If you found this podcast entertaining, please, please, please share with a friend, leave us five stars on your favorite app or spread the word. It'll help us reach more people and build the community. Thank you. Talk to you soon.